Ariel Booker, thank you for being here. Facts speak for themselves. Cans oh. are infinitely recyclable. Did did it surprise you no one's done it yet? You know, the amount of times people laugh down the phone at us when they're trying to sell a can of water. And they have okay, yeah, like they, underground no, they, they bunkers. Are, they are of, they yeah, nutters. they are nutters. <laughs> um, plastic production is set to double by 2030. Does that seem unreal to you? The infrastructure's there to recycle every can we put on the market. It's your first business and it's going well. We're, we're in all a much better position now to play to our strengths. You're in my face at the moment. This mic's in my face as well. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Babylonia Media and our very first podcast series, The Entrepreneur's Experience. When they're starting off on their journey, entrepreneurs love being surrounded by other creative and energetic people working in flexible workspaces. So it's very appropriate that this series is sponsored by SpaceMade. SpaceMade transforms buildings to create enjoyable and immersive working spaces for entrepreneurs and remote workers alike. We in Babylonia have a space at one of the locations and have found it a great environment to work in. SpaceMade has accessible workspaces throughout the UK. Check them out at www.spacemade.co. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So, episode one, Entrepreneur's Experience, Ariel Booker. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, first, we're going to do a little toast because it's the first ever production for Babylonian Media. So, thank you very much for being here. Cheers. Um, let's start with this. I, uh, when, when I was researching you, obviously, you start, obviously, I know a bit about you anyway, and obviously we're friends, but... When you start to look at what you've done, obviously it's, it's pretty amazing, and and there's an element of as a friend, you're sort of really impressed and proud of you. On the and from the outside looking in, it's just it's just really impressive. So I'm going to roll this out, and I want to follow it up with a question. Um, you founded in 2015. Uh, you've you're now in more than 3,000 UK retailers worldwide. Uh, you're also in China, Netherlands, UAE, France. Am I missing anything else? No, that's about right. Okay. Uh, and then you've got these more sort of landmark stockists like uh, Selfridges, Fennec, and is it Harrods? No, we're not in Harrods. Not in Harrods Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace, yeah, there you go. House of Commons. London Zoo. The London Zoo. Lords, didn't didn't know that one. I knew Lords. Amazon HQ. You obviously, I know not this year, you're doing the festivals, but last year you did quite a lot of festivals, is that right? Yeah, we did about 50 festivals. Last wow. Year. Okay, fine. And then obviously you're doing... What's the BBC and ITV studios thing? Is that you're sa essentially just water within those studios? Yeah, we just provide water for production. Okay. But they then give it out to guests and, you know, some uh, celebrities and those types of people end okay. up having our cans, which is cool. Awesome. And then obviously the last sort of big stat is um, 50 million cans sold worldwide or well, more than that, really. But that's the that's the minimum. Yeah, today. My biggest thing I always think when I when I was or when I read that at first was does that does that seem unreal to you? In the sense that if you look at where you were and that and where you are now and it's you know and you're so in it does it does that feel quite unreal or because you're so immersed in it now it's sort of normal to you or, or, or is there a what what is it in that in that capacity it, it's it's interesting because you're so close to it you never or i haven't so far and i guess we haven't as a group taken a step back to look at you know what we've accomplished and sure. i think we're quite humble as well we don't like to you know pat ourselves on the back that often yeah um, and I, 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 I guess you don't even have a chance to do that, really, do you? No, listen, th things are very busy, thankfully. Uh, so we haven't had you know, the, the downtime to sit there and, and take stock, albeit now with what's going on in the world, we've had a bit more time to just yeah. Yeah, yeah, focus course, on yeah. things we haven't. But yeah, 15 you know, plus million cans is, is to us impressive. Um, I think anything that has started as an idea and you know, actually become something, even like this podcast for you, 
I remember yeah. you telling me about it, and it's it's impressive that we're here. Well, exactly, and yeah. It's, it's happening. And a lot of people talk about things, sure, and they never really get to do them for one reason or another. Yeah, so. agreed. I mean, I mean, definitely not that I want to go too much into the whole COVID thing, but for me, the COVID situation, which I've, it sounds like it's the same for a lot of people, but the COVID situation is definitely an element of opportunity and an element of you know do what you really want to do in life. And for me, and you know, this sort of leads me to another point that I want to speak to you about. But for me, this was the classic thing where it's been in your head for years, and I was thinking a lot about what I want to do in life. I've done other jobs or other businesses that were very much well, money, basically. Or you enjoyed them a bit, but they didn't really fit your overall purpose, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And this was, you know, a, a budding idea in my head where it's essentially that classic sort of free component situation of what what do I want to do in my life? What do I think of my skill set? And and what would I really care about? And and obviously there's a pur- purposeful nature to it that I think is very important, mm-hmm. and which sort of you know leads me onto the most obvious part about what you're doing, which is and I also think you're quite ahead of the curve on this, and you were at the time. But plastic in general in 2015 wasn't as prominent an issue as it is now, so that's the one thing. And then obviously purposeful nature. I only personally think that purposeful nature aspects of business is really really coming to fruition in the past two years, if that. Um, so, uh, so di- first of all, did you feel ahead of the curve at the time? Did we feel ahead of the curve? Yeah, absolutely, because no one really believed that what we were doing was going to last. Yeah. No one wanted to. You know, the amount of times people laugh down the phone at us when you're trying to sell a can of water. And that happened at the lot, end of right? The, yeah, for, for, you know, the, the best part of 18 months to two years, it was a real uphill battle. And there was a lot of people who, you know, I, I had meetings with... Um, founders of, of massive drinks companies who sold out people introduced me to them and i went and mm-hmm. said here's our fantastic idea and he looked at me and said you'll never get into tesco's he's like you're wasting really? your time you know the, the, well, the i don't know who that is but haha <laughs> they've done very well themselves well i'm sure they have um, but and you know things like that can really burden you moving mm-hmm. forward and they can really make you question what you're doing sure. um so yeah the, the first couple of years you know there was lots of times where you would sit there and think selling canned water yeah, you know yeah. no one really understands it a lot of people are still saying that plastic is here to stay and it's the greatest thing out there and uh, i mean that's for me that's madness but well but, the know. plastic industry is very lucrative of course but it's you know again i was when i was doing a lot of research i really got into the whole plastic situation as a whole and um it blows my mind how irresponsible we've been in the past 50 60 years and you know, I think I was saying this to my stepfather actually. That don't we? Don't you think like we should have caught, someone should have really grabbed this by the balls, really, and said we can't keep doing this because it's so irresponsible and it and something that doesn't you know decompose for like three four hundred years. That's just mental. Mm. Um, but it's it's the money associated with it mm-hmm. that you know a lot of people lobby against any um, new laws or, or any sure. kind of new policies that sure. outlaw plastic. Uh, the government is very incentivized to keep. Uh, the producers of plastic happy so it's but, the, but it, they're, they're, it's you know there's, there's again there's definitely a huge shift in the right direction i think i think it's so hard to ignore now and and we'll get onto the stats of the whole plastic thing in the ocean in general in a bit but it's so hard to ignore uh, and obviously big big corporations get behind it and then obviously yourself and people like that i think it's awesome actually i'll um i would actually do a few plastic st- st- statistics quickly only because I think for listeners and audience, if you don't know this, it will just it will just blow your mind. Um, and I suspect you you know quite a few of these anyway. So correct me if I'm wrong, but 
if anyone wants to fact check us, they can. <laughs> We've already done our research. We've done our research. We've checked a few websites and uh, we think it's about right. So firstly, one million plastic bottles bought worldwide per minute. You've, you've heard that one before, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that in itself is... is Crazy. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, we are a population of nearly 8 billion people. Agreed, so. but that's a, that's a huge number. It shows how much we're still still using it. So for me, that was that was crazy. Um, 40% of plastic in general, not necessarily bottles, but 40% of plastic in general is only used once. And then obviously you've got the flip side that, uh, I know you mentioned this a bit uh, on your website, I think, but and I've read about it a bit, but essentially even very thin plastic, am I right in thinking it's 100 years plus before it gets decomposed? 300. 300 years for plastic bottles. The stuff. problem with plastic in general is it does break down over time. And then you've got the... It becomes microplastics. Yeah, exactly. So what happens is, you know, microplastics live anywhere. They live on, on our roads, from our tyres. They live in the ocean, from what we dump in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And the waves erode them over time. The sunlight mm-hmm. erodes it. So essentially, apart from what we've incinerated and the small bit of plastic that we've recycled, every piece of plastic on this earth is still, you know here in in one way well yeah i mean the the other stat on that sort of point is apparently only 12 percent of plastic has been incinerated which obviously has a bad sort of knock-on effect anyway Mm -hmm. but if if we've been producing producing more greenhouse gases exactly that and you know i the other stat i read today in fact was that it's 12.7 million tons of plastic entered the ocean i think in the past two uh, per year on average Mm -hmm. but the past year in particular i mean that's that's Again, you know, it's the equivalent to a truckload of truckload every minute. Plastic production is set to double by twenty thirty. Really? So you even with everything that's going on in, in a positive, yeah, positive even direction. you know continually. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are campaigning against it. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are, you know, starting to wake up to the dangers of plastic pollution and sure. what that means for our planet, our health, um, you know, ecosystems. Sure. But the reality is, is it's still growing. Yeah. You know, consumer needs are still growing. Did you um? Sorry, did did you see that Kenya actually have banned the production of it altogether? Mm-hmm. And if if you're caught producing it or distributing it, it's forty thousand dollar fine. I think that's amazing. I, I, I watched a documentary not long ago about the plastic bags um, that are polluting the Nile at the moment. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these countries are, you know, they've got these cheap plastic bags from God knows where mm-hmm. that they give away with everything. And, you know, the plastic bag in some of these places is, is a lot more problematic than the plastic bottle because some of these people don't have disposable income to buy bottled water, sure. albeit they don't have actually quality water that they ha- can have access to. But which plastic is, bags the... in, in Africa are a huge problem. Yeah. And, and, and on that point, what, I mean, actually, I actually want to ask that. You know, obviously you said that people don't have access to, to um, drinkable water in the first place. Mm-hmm. Is it... I don't know if you've even tackled this yet, but is it easy to to try and distribute to places like Africa? Or is it just an absolute nightmare? And have you even crossed that bridge yet? Or? I mean, it, it's logistically, it's not the easiest. Mm-hmm. You know, these are territories that we don't currently operate in. Yeah. And the mentality towards plastic pollution is very different. Sure. You have to remember these people, you know, a lot of them are fighting for their lives every day to find food and clean water. So oh. the environment yeah, is not at the sense. top of their list. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sense, it's, it's, it's a you know, positive correlation between kind of, I guess, disposable income and the amount that you care mm-hmm. about the planet mm-hmm. um, on average. So, yeah, they're, they're not really in our sites. There's a lot of great charities doing work over there to educate people yeah. on, you know, the production of plastics, how you can recycle them better, do how any, you can create better infrastructure. Or do, have you had that sort of collaborative approach on the, on a charitable level and saying, you know, people 
can we can we take a bunch of your stock or, and put it in the yeah right we place work or? with a, a load of charities you know we, we say our cans are our currency mm-hmm. we're still a, a young company yeah um to an extent so we donate a lot of water to sure. different causes sure. um not across the planet but mainly across the uk and, and sure. we've done some in europe that's awesome um which is is a nice thing to be able to do that's really awesome um just quickly, so everyone knows, what is what's your sort of role within the company, and did, is that how it started for you, or or did you start off thinking you do one thing completely, and then you've gone a completely different way? So I think with any business that you set up, it it evolves over time. You know, when we started, we were all doing everything, to be honest, from delivering stuff sure. to picking up the phone, selling to dealing with logistics, with operations. Primarily, I was involved in the operational side and the sales side which, you know, is, is a lot to handle of a startup, and especially when I haven't been experienced in operations in the past. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, you didn't, you've never owned a business previous to this one? No, and, and we weren't experienced in food and beverage either. Sure, yeah. So, you know, we came up with this concept. We became obsessed with this idea of, of putting water in a can, mm-hmm. and we had to find someone to do it, yeah. you know, which actually happened quite quickly, to be it, honest. It seems it did. The, again, the, the other interview I watched you did, and uh, what you do, sorry, and um, just generally the process of, of getting to the resealable mm. situation, that was that was quite easy, right? We found so it on Google. We anyway. found it on page 10 of Google. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it's, you know, there's there's some things that feel right, that sure. fall into place, mm-hmm. and that was one of those things. We knew that we had to have a resealable product, especially when you're competing with a, a bottle of water. Yeah. You know, the convenience element of plastic bottles is is huge. Yeah. So for us That's that's the biggest that's the biggest solution aspect yeah. you're trying to really tackle on yeah. on you alongside the plastic element. It's really a, a solution that is actually viable, like you said, for people. The market's fickle, right? They're yeah. not going to go out of their way to do things that benefit the planet yeah. on most occasions. Sure. You know, there are the hardcore um people who who are environmentalists who care about the planet and they'll carry their chili bottle with them you know they'll only drink tap water um that kind of thing you know is is fantastic but the majority of consumers want something on the go they're used to convenience Mm -hmm. so the resealable lid was an element of um the product that we knew we had to find and luckily we found it yeah on page 10 of google and it might be page eight that that was a real once you got that bit dealt with you felt you could really tackle the, the whole consumer market like you said pe- something at, at your fingertips ready to go and uh that that's when you start to feel you can compete right yeah well that spurred everything on sure we spoke to those people who then introduced me to others and it was kind of a snowball effect of right the lid people introduced me to the people who fill the cans the people who fill the cans introduced me to the can manufacturer you tied it all up and it, it you know became a, a reality and and uh, you know i, I want to stress this to people because I think hopefully people that are watching this and reading this will really understand the depths of what goes into even getting a business going or getting a product to a settable space or a settable level so what what would you say is the timeline of going from the source of the idea which and, and we'll talk about how you got to that idea in the first place later on but how what would you say is the timeline of getting a product to market from the moment of idea to you know maybe drawing a design to doing samples and so on and so forth it's a difficult question to answer because, you know, personally for us, it was quite quick. You know, we, the, the, so the, the conceptualization of the idea was the following, uh, was the year before. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of winter 2015, sure. April 2015, we actually said, you know what, we're going to do this. And by 
September, we had a product. So that's quite far. It was very quick, but yeah. that's because the infrastructure already exists for what we wanted to do. Yeah. You know, a lot of people and, and you know, we're not um, scientists sure. or, or yeah, yeah. you know, educated to that degree, but a lot of people spend years in R&D, right? The can already exists, water's, you know, out there, mm -hmm. and the lid was a new technology that was coming to the market. So we had all the fundamental pieces to be able to put that together, which, you know, really spurred everything on. And it was it was a really exciting time. We were working so in what, my front sorry, room what, every what, night. How many months was that in total? It was about, about six months. About six months. Yeah. But I guess, like you said, it's obviously the, the principal products there. It's, it's a small hmm. adaptation. But ironically, that small ad adaptation makes a big, big difference. Yeah. You know, Perry, our, our, my co-founder and our creative director, he had... He's got a backlog of ideas on his laptop that he's made in Photoshop. You know, he made these cans a year before. So, you know, these things already existed in pieces in different and places. Sort of well, I guess that, that element of combining a couple of ideas together, right? Yeah, and Which people I'm who work well together and who sure. can bring different skill sets. And it just it just happened. What's the importance that you have to deal with at the start when it's working with friends? You have to... Do you have to create a very strict set of roles and responsibilities? Do you have to be very clear and, and, and understand outside of those working hours we're, sti we're still make, some, make sure you sort of compartmentalise it what do, what do you think of the sort of foundational it's all there? well and good to say that you've got to set boundaries and you've got to do all of these things but I think most people don't Yeah. you know especially I was 23 at the time my you know co-founders are a little bit older than me but you don't think of those things you learn those things along the way and now we've got a respectable business relationship that's professional mm -hmm. but a lot of the time things can get personal and obviously that, that combines with the age you did it so young in the first yeah. place you know, it, it can get very heated and you forget about it the next day, sure. you know, because you've got this common goal yeah. together that you're so working nothing, towards. Nothing sticks really. Or, or there's there's times you know. where we've all blown up, you know, with each other in different places and, and circumstances. You know, there's been a few tears here and there, <laughs> um, mainly from me. But, <laughs> but, you know, you kind of, you have respect for, for your, your best friends and your co-founders and, and that's what you need to remember at the end of the day. Um. Aluminium. 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 Okay. So you can re recycle it within six weeks, apparently. Is that true? Yeah. That's 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 a fact? That is a fact. Fact check that, guys. That's fact a fact. That. I've been there. I've seen it. Yeah? Yeah. I've been to many recycling centres. So the benefits of aluminium is that it doesn't lose quality. Sure. So you melt it. It becomes, you know, liquid aluminium. Then it gets cast into what's called an ingot. I know a lot of sad facts about aluminium. Well, tell us. And tell then us. Um, they transport it to a rolling mill. They'll roll the aluminium like um, like if you're rolling dough, for example, for bread. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they will... Good good reference, by the way. Thank you. They will make it into cans. And that process can happen within six weeks. And and literally every, the whole the whole can again? Or do you, do you lose the a whole bit? can? Really? Yeah. There's, there's uh, you know, less than a percent that you might lose to something that's called bottom ash and it's just where it's sure. been burnt. Yeah. Um, but that's being able to recover now as well. So do you, do you find, I know it sounds silly, but do you find sort of geeking out about the, about the whole variables behind the business quite, quite interesting? Was it, was it quite fun? Yeah, it, it was a, a nice learning experience. I never thought I'd be an expert on aluminium cans <laughs> and, you know, to all intents and purposes, I'm not, there's many people out there who are, you know, more, um, informed about but, it, you know, but the, know -how the to, fundamentals to have a, have a and, and to have an argument with someone who's telling you that plastic is great and the best thing to exist sure. and that cans aren't. And, you know, throughout the the last few years, we've had many run-ins with, you know, pro-plastic individuals 
Um, and you have to be armed with these facts. Yeah. And, you know, the facts speak for themselves. Cans right. are infinitely recyclable. Plastic doesn't get recycled. Once a can's recycled, it comes back as another can. And the infrastructure's there to recycle every can we put on the market. And, and what... what um, these pro-plastic mm. geniuses... Uh, genie eye. Yeah, genie eye, <laughs> sorry. Are they, uh, what are they coming, coming with when they say we still need to use it so much? Um, a lot of it is related to carbon emissions. Sure. That in terms of packaging, the carbon life cycle of a plastic bottle outweighs a can, which is true in the production of a plastic bottle. But when you take recycled products and material into yeah. it, it doesn't. The life cycle of a can is far better than the life cycle of a plastic bottle. Does the also transport aspect matter in the sense that you can get more within, so, within a freight or whatever it may be? Yes, a filled product. Yeah. Cans um, from a... So I don't know if you've seen how they make plastic bottles. It's actually right. mind-blowing. They they look like condoms, essentially. So they're these little like tubes, like sure. test tubes, that they blow that turn into the plastic bottle oh. and is filled with water at the same time. Okay. So it's it's quite efficient to transport the plastic in its, you know, raw form, if you like, yeah. to a filling plant to then get filled. But whilst it's efficient and it's very, very cheap, you know, um, it's a false economy because look at the damage that it has on, on the environment. The, the trade-off's just not worth it, is it? Yeah. And, and it's, it just, I, again, like, it just blows my mind. It, the, the, what's what the amount that's there is is just crazy. But most people don't know. Mm. You know, only in the last two years people have woken up. Thank God for David Attenborough. You know, I was I was thinking Blue that. Planet. Was people just saw a turtle with a straw in its nose, and that was enough yeah. for the whole country to ban straws. Yeah. I mean, in a matter of weeks, which which is amazing, which is I, incredible. I mean, but it took. You know, it, it's crazy that it it only took that to make such a big change. Sure. I um, I actually looked. I don't know if I have it here with us, but the amount of um, do you remember that famous image of of that massive whale on on the ocean? They cut it open. It was just literally mm. like nets and everything like that. I think that had m massive impact as well. Um, talking about sort of impacts in an in an imagery sense, talk us through how you even start the idea in the first place. Basically, I know there's a bit about you went to Thailand. Is that right? Yeah. So I was on holiday traveling in thailand for a month yeah december 2015 what, what, why traveling sorry december 2014 because it was it like it was traveling yeah, but yeah. You know, I, i've never taken a gap year and gone traveling fine, fine. so it was the okay. closest thing to it yeah going island hopping and doing those awful full moon parties exactly <laughs> exactly the, the uh what's it the bucket with the red bull and vodka yeah i like the uh samsung it's this whiskey that basically makes you go blind <laughs> <laughs> it was really great okay um, let's uh Let's move on from that. Yeah. But, um, uh, so I was in Thailand and one of the days we went canoeing to like, there was a, a, a little island in the distance mm -hmm. and there was no one there. It was deserted. And we got there and on the sea facing side of that island, it was just covered in plastic, plastic bottles, milk cartons, fishing nets. It was, you know, it, it was really eye opening. So, you know, I've come back from holiday and, and Josh and Perry have approached me and they said, at the time, Josh and Perry used to drink a lot of Red Bull. Sure. They loved the stuff. And one day they were like, listen, we've just got to stop drinking this because it's not good for us. We're jittering in the afternoon. Like, it's enough now. And they started drinking a lot of water. And Perry, being, you know, creative and, and visual, uh, was thinking about, well, why does no one put water in a can? They started talking to me about this idea that they had. And I was like, hold on a minute. 
surely there's something from an environmental angle as well. I saw so much pollution when I was on holiday in Thailand mm -hmm. that maybe it would be really cool if we could, you know, create some real purpose out of this. We started looking into aluminium cans, the recyclability benefits of it, and it just made sense. It just kind of clicked. We became obsessed with this idea. Perry mocked up these black and white cans on, on his kind of Photoshop um, very early on. And we were just hell-bent on, on doing this. Um, we found I, the resealable I, lid. Yes, yes, sorry, I was just going to say, I guess it stuck with you so quickly because of that, because of that image, right? Yeah, it, it, was, it was the image. It was, why has no one done this before? It's, yeah. This is solving a real-life problem. We don't need to be, you know, PhD scholars to actually make a difference Yeah, it doesn't make, take a genius to... It, the infrastructure already exists. Yeah. Cans are already out there. We've seen and we've read the benefits and we've seen, you know, what's going on in the world. Yeah. Let's do something about it. And did, did um, I wondered this, did, did it surprise you no one's done it yet at that point? It surprised us that no one's done it commercially sure. and no one had done it for the reasons that we were doing it. There's people called preppers. I don't know if you've heard of them. No. They're the kind of... I won't call them nutters, but they're... they're um, you kind of just did, but okay. No, they're <laughs> no, not as far as that. They're, you know, people within America who have their own ways and views of the world who are prepping for the end of the world. Right, okay. So they have, okay, yeah, like, they, underground no, no, they bunkers. Are, they are nutters. Of, they are yeah, they are nutters. Yeah, nutters. Uh, but, you know, with everything that's going on, maybe who, they're right. Who knows? Um, so they have these underground bunkers that have, like, loads of canned food, and they have big cans of water that keep for like 150 years so before we did it that was the only thing that existed and these are like big vats of water yeah uh, you know it's made from aluminium and steel cans but it's not for the purpose of which we intended to do it and and on that point about the size of cans mm. it's is that sort of slight tangent but is, is that one of your biggest challenges right now in the in the sense of how big can you make a can Obviously, you've you've got that situation where people may want to buy a three liter big old bottle. It, and, it and is. It, a, is that what you're going through at the moment at this stage? It's a challenge to try and convert the mindset of those people who are used to buying a two liter bottle of whatever you know bottled in, in water. In the sense, of what just say, well, just buy more of buy more, more for yeah. cheaper sure. as well. I can drink my two liters a day. I know how I'm doing with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I refill it as well. A lot of people don't know the dangers with refilling plastic bottles. You know, the plastic. It, it breaks down, mm -hmm. it leaches into the water if you leave it in a car. Everyone's heard of that story of a friend of a friend's friend who got ill from, you know, the plastic bottle yeah, in the car from the sun. Um, and there is merit to that. But, you know, the, the difficulty that we have with size is you can get bigger cans. You can get a litre can. I've seen them before. They did them in Russia, mm -hmm. of all places. Of course. Um, but they're garish, they're heavy, yeah. they're big. So you, you think even if you could get to a certain size, it wouldn't be attractive as a, as a product? Not necessarily. Our 500 mil is the biggest can that we do at the moment. Mm -hmm. We've looked into larger sizes with go up to like 600, 700 mil. Mm -hmm. I'm quite keen on looking into that and sure. seeing where we could go with it. But again, it comes down to convenience. Uh, early business, right? Mm. What what is there, I guess, a highlight or turning point where you thought, okay, now you went from you know, where you're sort of in and out of working other jobs and so on and so forth or getting out your permanent job. Was there a turning point there? I said that would be the first question. And then also, what's the turning point on a sales point of view? So A positive it, turning point. Yeah, yeah, in the sense of was that in a two-year period or was it really, really, how, how do I put it? Do you, do you even feel like you're, you're close to the level you want to be on, on the sales point of view? Is, is there really, or have you superseded it? And every time a year goes past, you, you create a new 
um, target. So that'd be one thing. And then we'll go actually, we'll, we'll go back to the point about um, turning point on a, on a personal level. But I, I, is that what's happened? Have you kept on escalating the, the targets? Yeah. Uh, and surprising yourself, which is obviously great. We, we've kept on, you know, um, building and looking at where we want to be and how we're going to get there. I remember we hired a managing director, you know, someone who was good from an operations background in 2017, I think it was. And we were talking about how much we'd need to sell to turn over X. And we were working it out on a piece of paper. And it was something like 100 pallets a week. Now that's 200,000 cans, 250,000 cans a week. I'm sitting there thinking, fuck, that's a lot of water. Yeah, yeah of course. You know, we now sell that a week in a good month yeah. in the summer sure. pre-coronavirus. You know, okay. so we got to those levels, which was unbelievable. Um, and so we we keep getting further down the line. I think the turning point was David Attenborough, Blue Planet, you know, from... So what, that aligns with your PR, I guess? Yeah, or it, 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 it was... It aligns with the awareness factor. It that, was the awareness really, of plastic. That really elevates your, your for, purpose, For a good 18 months, we were hammering the phones, we were banging on everyone's door, we were being told to fuck off left, right and centre. Mm -hmm. People weren't interested. Why do we need a can of water? We've got plastic bottles, they're cheap. People are still buying them. You know, that's the end of the story. Overnight the whole conversation about plastic erupted, especially in the UK. We took this problem on ourselves. You, know, you don't see the levels of plastic pollution in the UK like you do in Indonesia or Thailand or some of these Southeast Asian countries. But we made that problem ours as a, as a, um, you know, as a community and as a population. And overnight, a lot of the businesses that we rung up remembered that we existed because of the amount of incoming inquiries they got to what do you have that's not plastic yeah and, and i guess that that's that comes to the to the point of we're now at a stage where people want to be part of a community or a movement forward mm -hmm. which obviously was really in your favor yeah and, and, and it got so that's what you're saying it got to the stage where companies coming to you lots of lots of inquiries direct to you yeah it, it got to the stage where our emails were just filling up with mm -hmm you know, some of our dream customers that would have taken us five years to get there. We piggybacked two years worth of work. Yeah. Was that, was that a shocker? I mean, I, I mean, in a sense, that's probably the wrong way to put it, actually. What, it I, was, what, I, what I would say is, it, do you feel, I, I suspect you would have got there anyway. I right? think we were so intent on making this work that it was always going to happen one yeah, way or another. Exactly, that, that would be my um, point. You know, there was no question in our minds that it wasn't going to happen. Of course, there were times where we had shit days, we doubted ourselves, we brushed ourselves off, we woke up in the morning and we carried on doing what we set out to do. Sure. Um, but, you know, in the manner that it happened, in that kind of quick moment, it was beyond our wildest dreams. And some of the people who were reaching out to us were just, you know, and, incredible. And who, who, who were they? Just out of what, what the sort of standout brands? Or you know, places brands? like Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Um, that, that's what came to mind for me. I mean, places just, like, you know, um, Vanity Fair, we sponsored the Oscars party, mm -hmm. you know, in LA, in Hollywood. We did the water did, for the Oscars party. We didn't. I did try and, and blag a ticket. Um, to this day, I haven't even seen pictures because it was so cloak and daggers. They couldn't even well, send yeah, us pictures. Yeah, it's supposed to be like that, isn't it? So yeah. what is that? Is that, you know, when you hear all those stories about the, the famous goodie bags that are worth like 10K, yeah, yeah, you, you were part of that. Yeah, well, we were the water at the event also that they were giving out. Um, you know, we've I've been to the World Ocean Summit and spoken, you know, on behalf of Can of Water, on behalf of our can manufacturer. I did not know um, that in my research. Yes, that was 2018, Mexico. Okay. I got very burnt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably a bit like me now. A little bit. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's been so many things that we've done that 
just don't even spring to mind because there's been so many. And that's not to say... And, but, and that's great. That's great. It, right? You, you it's can amazing. ask more on that point of view. Yeah. That you've got so many landmark incidences or highlights or whatever it may be that you can't, you can't pick them all out. Um, on the sort of Hollywood point, you've had quite a few... Uh, people endorse your endorse your product on a sort of celebrity level. Mm. Not that I we ma- that matters too much, but I'd just be interested to know what what are the few stand up ones that really again gave you another boom. And was it were you getting just crazy orders direct directly online or whatever it may be? So it's it's, it's difficult to track kind of you know your return on investment for these things. And we've never invested in these things. These have all been organic. So yeah, I, I was quite surprised. To about date, that. we've never spent any money yeah, you, on influencers or paid social for that yeah you don't in marketing wise you're not doing we doing do that aspect you might you market in a more should we say classic sense or more, well we, more we traditional sense? you know we, we do a lot of on-premise marketing so in our retailers our wholesalers brochures catalogs that kind of thing mm-hmm. because a lot of people that we've got to convince um the benefits of cans versus plastic and and who are the ones making the decision are your coffee shop owners, your restaurant owners, your head chefs, operations managers, you know, people who are um, the heads of the building, food and beverage, etc. So, um, you know, these standout celebrity things have, have all been really nice to have and they've just cemented what we've been doing. They've given people the confidence that, number one, we're a good brand that resonates with them. And also a lot of people have piggybacked off of us. You know, we have been used, and not in a bad way, we're, we're chuffed by it, but we've been used as a vehicle to make other people look good. You know, if you're... Such as? Such as? Well, if you go and pick up a can, it's a statement. You're not drinking out of a plastic Fair bottle. Yeah. You know, you're working with a brand that represents change, that is passionate about the environment, that wants to do something different. Um, so we've had, you know, David Gandhi from The Offset, who, who's been a great kind of friend of the business... Mm-hmm. Um, we've done things with Ellie Golding, which has been great. You know, we did something a few months ago with Bill Gates at, at Oxford University. Really? Which okay. was in- incredible. Um, even done stuff with David Attenborough. I mean, not directly with him, but events that have been put on where he's been a guest speaker. Sure. Um, we've done stuff, as I said, with Buckingham Palace. We we did Prince Andrew's um, <laughs> um, Good timing. pitch at Palace, Good time. <laughs> which was his entrepreneur's scheme to find new entrepreneurs i've yeah. got a, a letter from you him won't be home. uh doing um, any more of that no we won't we did princess eugenie's wedding we okay. supplied all the water for her wedding do, do you get much of that i mean i know uh on again on some some of the stuff i researched and what you sent me so i could have a little read you do seem to get quite a big events corporate that sort of that sort of set of orders and and yeah do you think that's obviously because like you said you're a bit on trend and Frankly, they look better than, than bottles. So, like, what that's happening a lot, and it's yeah, still happening? Yeah, it's a combination of wanting to be associated with a progressive brand that isn't plastic, wanting something that looks good, and making a statement to their guests, consumers, whoever it may be, mm-hmm. know that we are not putting out plastic bottles. We're doing our part to protect our oceans, protect the environment. Um, you know, festivals is, is a huge area of business for us. And it, I can it, imagine. And then you also, again, you see those classic pictures of all that waste and you know, all every, the plastic every, tents yeah bottles everything else so that's that's crazy i was um just slightly going a touch back to what you're saying about the market, marketing aspect do you firmly believe that because you've, you've got such deep belief in your in your product and you've got such a good grounding with your product the marketing is sort of it's it's needed but but the the core belief of of the product as a whole is, is what's 
what's drived it forward. And I, I know that to some extent everyone would say that in an entrepreneur's mm-hmm. aspect, but you really have to stick to that and not, and not get wavered and get a bit wide and start spending loads of money on marketing, especially in the early days. Yeah, I know a lot of people who spent a load of money on things that just don't make sense because they feel they need to be doing something. And that's a very quick way to waste all the money that you know, you've know you got from investment, yourself, whoever it may be, um, and spend it on the wrong thing. So we've been incredibly resourceful. You know, We've been building pop-ups ourselves when we started. Now, fortunately, we don't have to do that anymore. And, and you know, it's a nice feeling to turn up to an event and see a, a stand built for you. But in the early days, we were doing everything ourselves. We were getting things, you know, printed from our local printer who would make like laminated walls and stuff for, for trade shows. I remember we did a pop up in Old Street Station, which was a massive Perspex box that you would put a plastic bottle in and would give you a can. So we were kind of taking plastic out, out of yeah, I mean, no circulation. Awesome idea. And we built that plastic box ourselves. You know, we got the Perspex made. I remember walking through Old Street with this huge sheet of Perspex in the road down the roundabout with Josh and Perry, mm-hmm. you know, each with a massive sheet of glass on our back. Yeah. Um, up there till like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, drilling this box that we didn't even know how to build because actually our builder let us down. Um, so everything that we've done has been really organic and I think it speaks to the consumer. You can see when things are paid for. You can see it's when... Especially now. Especially, especially now, now you know, especially when as well on Instagram, you have to have paid for, but yeah, you, you, have know, to, you have to make that all point. of our social media has been organic. Yeah. We, we've, we pride ourselves on not paying for stuff and having people who genuinely believe in our mission. Yeah. I mean, for me, especially with what we're doing now, obviously diff- different industry and that sort of thing. But the point of having really, really stro- strong core belief in, in the human aspect of, of the content I'm putting out there and, is, is so important to me. And I, and I obviously have sort of quite a determined belief that that, that will shine through. And it's, it's the classic sort of the cream will rise to the top. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, on one of your interviews, you talked about greenwashing. Mm. What's greenwashing? Greenwashing is basically making a product or a statement become more environmental or, or you know, portraying it as something environmental. So, for example... Um, if you look at all of this uh, bioplastic, I don't know if you've come across it, you know, plant-based plastic, compostable plastic. Right, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. So, so that stuff, people say, oh, you can put it compostable. Uh, but it, only it, seems, it only seems to work for that, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's PLA, it's plant-based plastic, it's going to degrade. The truth about that is actually you need an industrial composter to be able to do that, which burns at hundreds of degrees, which takes up a huge amount of land. There's only one of them in the UK to do it. Mm-hmm. So... All of this stuff, whilst its intent is good, it can be misled and people can believe that they're doing the right thing when actually what happens to that is it contaminates the waste stream because people just throw it in a normal recycling bin thinking that it can be recycled. It, you know, taints everything else in that recycling bin from a plastic perspective um, and it ends up in landfill emitting methane. So it's, you know, and, so and it's there's... Quite, so it's essentially one of those what, nice idea but useless. Yeah, I would, listen, I wouldn't say it's useless. There's a lot of technology behind it and it's it's a growing, you know, industry and market and a lot of people are moving to it. It's just not but effective enough. It's it's not communicated well enough to the consumer how they actually deal with it. So all of these people who have moved to plant-based plastics will sing from the high heavens of how good they are and and the intent is there, 
but actually the product doesn't stack up because a lot of people are misled and don't understand it. So, yeah, listen, there's, there's a lot of instances of greenwashing out there. You know, we've been accused of greenwashing in the past because aluminium in its nature is a laborious product. You know, it's mined from the ground. But 75% of the aluminium that we use today was mined back in the 1800s and just keeps being recycled and recycled. You know, and the that's, carbon... That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah, the carbon emissions of that just, you know... Um, reduces massively over time by 95% every time you recycle it. Yeah. Well, so yeah, greenwashing is, is an interesting one. You know, a lot of people throw terminology out there and, and want to attack products and things. And you know, unfortunately, there, there is a lot of greenwashing that happens. Do you, do, do you think that can change? And it, like you said, it's just education really, isn't it? I think it's education. I think there needs to be more... Um, more kind of, um, for lack of a better word, watching the space and, and you know, legislation, mm-hmm. you know, on what's acceptable, what isn't. Um, I think there needs to be an authority on, on these types of businesses, on all businesses, really, in this space that portray themselves. Waste, though, yeah, waste, waste is a big problem. Um, up until now, we were sending all of our plastic to China. Yeah. And people getting paid to do it because all that was happening was they were getting what's called a PRN, which is a... Um, uh, a recycling note that says that you've put X amount of plastic that can be recycled into a container. They've sent it off and the government pay them per kilo. But actually, um, they were putting non-recyclable plastic in there. No one's checking. So they were just getting paid to ship it all. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. Business idols. Sure. Who's number one? It's a, it's a recent number one. Okay. Um, I read Shoe Dog recently. Which is, I'd love to say, I know what the, that book the is. The Nike then. story, Phil Knight. Okay. I think his name's Phil Knight, who was the founder of Nike. Should we fact check that? Yeah, w- no, fact I think it is Phil Knight. Okay. Um, and it was just extremely impressive, you know, the, the length of time that it took him to found Nike and, you know, his journey, the trial and error. He started with running shoes. That was his, his idea, was running shoes. But to see the progression... Of that business, which which fits with the the whole Michael Jordan story, right? Is that right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It does fit with the Michael yeah, Jordan story because they they were literally just a running shoes company yeah. before that. You know, he and then, and then he started importing it. running shoes from Japan um, on Itsuka Tiger. I don't know if you've heard of them. I've actually got a pair of them, not running shoes. They're just normal shoes. They're okay. Quite nice. Yeah. Um, they just opened a store on Regent Street. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll go there after this. Hop in there after. Yeah. Um, but you know, just the difficulties that he went through, you know, for eight years, that wasn't his full-time job. And he was working with, you know, his running coach who was literally dissecting these shoes and, you know, putting molds into them and all of these things to make them better. Yeah. Um, and it was just a really great story of someone who persevered and who, you know, believed in it so much and who was obsessed by this idea to create the world's best running shoe. And and the parallels there for you are what you, you probably went through a year or two of that where you're getting yeah, I th- shot back all the time, shot back all the time, also on top of that, not sure exactly what the perfect product is. Yeah, I think, you know, th- there's a lot of parallels in that story, but for me as an individual, what I find fascinating is people who started with one thing and how it evolved. You know, again, not to sound cliche, but Jeff Bezos, it was a bookstore. It was yeah. an online bookstore. And, that, and that, now that famous he, photo of him just sitting yeah. with a little but he started you know, spray, with, with spray books. sign. It's just crazy. You know, and now you can buy anything on Amazon and get it delivered to you the next morning. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're they're the biggest growers since COVID. Yeah. Well, speaking of COVID, what's let's not go into it too much, but what's been the the, the surprising elements of it? And and are you obviously you're doing fine, but 
massive massive drop or obviously people need water anyway so you're quite a sort of priority product water got heavily um hurt in retail okay because a lot of people are staying at home therefore they're not going out and buying bottled water you know we do very well on the meal deal people buying a sandwich a drink and packet of crisps at lunch overnight that business was, was pretty much non-existent yeah the only people buying meal deals were key workers or i think lorry drivers Sure. So Energy so drinks the, the shot Tesco, up forty four percent. Tesco order went. Yeah, yeah, quite yeah. A lot of our retail went, you know, down. Although it was still there, but it, we just weren't at the levels that you know we would be this time of year. Mm-hmm. And our hospitality business, which covers you know your Amazon headquarters or HSBC or J P Morgan, you know the offices that we sell in, people weren't in the office. Yeah. So disappeared overnight. And and does that mean? I guess as it and all the festivals, a, that got yeah, all the festivals as well. Yeah, any any public sort of and pretty much every avenue yeah. that we sell in <laughs> got impacted, um, if not shut. Okay, but did did that require but online a, a pivot, so to speak? Yeah, or, or was it a case of you've got to ride it out because obviously we're in this really really unusual situation, mm. and we're coming to the back end of it. Thank God, but it, has that made you pivot overall for the long run, or you're 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 still undecided about that? I don't think, you know, in what we do, there's a... Listen, if we started putting hand sanitizer in cans, that would have been a pivot. There's, <laughs> there's not much we can do to pivot. We can find so new channels. Yeah, so, you know, um, bike shops were the only shops that were open. We started yeah. trying to sell into bike shops, you know, just to keep a bit of momentum going. We hired a new commercial director, head of sales, you know, who's our biggest hire to date, practically. Mm-hmm just as we went into lockdown was his start date. So we're kind of all there like, oh my God, what do we do? We've got this guy who's cost us X amount, you know, he's come from a food and beverage background. He's amazing. And also that's, that's to, I guess, elevate or escalate things forward. Yeah, yeah. It, it's to, you know, look at our margins, look at our strategy from a sales perspective, where we're, you know, going to play, what we're going to not do, what we're going to do. Um, and that was really exciting and daunting because the whole world had shut. So... Actually, what we had time to do for the first time since we started was take a step back, reevaluate the business. What are we going after? Who do we want to be? What do we look and feel like to the outside world? What won't we do? What clients do we not want to work with? Who do we want to work with? And it was a really refreshing time to be able to plan, actually. You know, we made the best of the time. There's no one that I could really sell to in my current, you know, role is is within sales. Um, so... You know, no hotels wanted to speak to me. The channels that I look after is is called on trade. So it's anything that's, you know, purchased and consumed on premises, casual dining, hotels, a bit of travel. You know, high street is what I look after as well. All of these things were were non-existent. At and the time. and hotels are obviously generally quite a big market for you. Am I, am I right in thinking hotels that? are are a big market and an even bigger opportunity? Hotels have been decimated. Well, that's what that's the point. And also, I would have thought when I was looking at your business, there's definitely a massive scope for you in a hotel simply because it fit it aligns mm. with so many different things you can do your mini bar you can do it behind the yeah. bar it also i'm sure they want to be as purposeful as they can we do a lot of hotels i think one of the the drawbacks that they have is a lot of them give out water for free and they'll look at the cheapest option and you're but just, there not, has you're to just be, not the cheapest option no we don't want to be the cheapest yeah. option I, well i would agree with that i think but there has to be a compromise between sustainability and profit that they don't necessarily go hand in hand at this stage. Mm. So, you know, hotels was, was a really difficult one because I'd spent a year 
building relationships with some of the biggest hotel chains in the world to have half of their team made redundant. They don't need these people. You know, one of the hotel chains that I was working with, um, they had a, a new hotel's opening team that became a hotel's closing team. <laughs> they were just shutting down hotels. That was is, their is task. That, is that UK? Global. Global, okay, fine. Global, big volume. Um, so that, still working that, that, on it. That, that was, a, yeah, still working on it. Still working on <laughs> it. It could happen, it could it, happen. It will happen. At some point, these things will happen. I Yeah, I agree, I think. But we're just in really difficult, unprecedented, don't want to say the word unprecedented, but unprecedented it's true. It times. Is, it is unprecedented. No one's ever experienced this before. So, you know, the main focus for most businesses is keeping your head above water, remaining lean and riding the storm and looking for opportunities where possible. Yeah. Um, empl employing people. I found when I worked with people older than me, mm -hmm. it was definitely tricky. It, not that I've owned a ton of businesses where I've had ridiculous amount of staff but definitely that dynamic of having to i guess be the boss of someone older than me was was quite tricky have have, have you managed that and how many people are actually older than you within your business i mean i don't mean numbers but is, yeah. is it enough to so we're, something, we're still a small team there's there's eight of us at the moment um there's a few people older than us but you know we run a really tight ship we don't need a big team you know our business model and and the majority of when we you know please God become a lot bigger. We'll have yeah. more sales staff and more people, but our distributors do our work for us. You know, they're out there actively selling. So it's up to us to make sure that they're out there selling for us. So therefore we don't need to have a big team. We run quite a flat structure, you know, with three co-founders as well. It's, it, it, when you say flat structure, what you're just quite open loop within the, within the business. Yeah, there, everyone, everyone has a role, and you can be quite honest with each other. Exactly, and not too hierarchical. Exactly, there there isn't much of a hierarchy there, um, which which definitely helps. And I think it's what people are tending to do now anyway. It definitely helps. I think in in some cases where you can go back and forward on you know decisions, it might benefit from just one person who could say, "Listen, I've decided X, and that's final." Yeah. And you know you've got to there suck is that, it in there sick. is that final call yeah that and sometimes sort of having, idea. sometimes yeah. having that uh, you know is very helpful because you don't want to spend too much time on trying to make a decision it doesn't solve anything mm. um, but yeah in, in reality it's it's been good listen everyone has their their bust ups and their disagreements but but you but thankfully you haven't had too much of an issue no we've evolved on, into on a professional you know and safe space for people to you know air their opinion yeah and and. When you employ someone, do you say that quite directly? You say, look, let's from the start, then let's not worry about don't don't come in too soft and, and tip turn. You know, in the past we haven't. It's a learning process. You know, it's our first business. Yeah, of course. So we've we've had to adjust and we've had to learn, but it's been a good process. And you know, it's 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 an education that you would never get at any university. Of course. I mean, the the practical learning is 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 just huge, and I actually wanted to mention that when it comes to uh another reason why i want to do this company in general and, and create the sort of babylonian idea is because i don't know about you and and this will bring us on to a couple other points but i didn't personally i, I loved the school i went to and i had great fun but i didn't leave with that many interests mm. and i think if i look at my sort of learning process it's been very much a, an online type of thing you know you listen to a podcast you find out about something interesting you find about find out about someone interesting and then you go down that rabbit hole um did, did you find that too and then and then in the early days with regards to work and interest and so on and so forth was it very much like i said earlier a case of you're kind of doing what just 
supposedly you were supposed to do. And I know, for example, you 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 worked in the city for a while. Is that right? And you, you I wanted to be a pilot growing up, which we discussed yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my dream. Still is my dream. I just can't do it because I'm colorblind, and I was told <laughs> I can never fly a plane. So Wait, when did you find that out? I found that out when I went to take my medical to be a pilot to study to be a pilot. So I had to go to Gatwick and do the series of tests, and I just failed the color blindness test, which I actually don't think anyone who could see in color although I can see in colour, I just get colours confused, yeah. would pass it anyway because it was this big pixelated screen with loads of colours flashing and then this box would move over and sat on it for two hours and by the end I was like, my eyes were just burning. Um, so it was very difficult, the test yeah, yeah. and the experience. It just, it just reminded me actually, just very off point, but it reminded me of the last time I went to an eye test and I just, I got so confused. And I thought, you know, I've got perfect eyes. Turns out I've got a real issue with my eyes and I've got stigmatism and short I've never short, seen you wear glasses. I never wear them. That's the problem. You shouldn't really be That's, driving. I, well, yeah. Let's <laughs> not broadcast He that. doesn't drive. Yeah, I don't drive. Never. Um, um, early, so early early job. So you wanted to... So I wanted to be a pilot. pilot that was my dream. That was the only thing was getting me through school. Yeah. Because I had to go to university to study to be a pilot. Oh, so as in what beyond 16, that was the only reason why I kept you there. Yeah, that I stayed at A-level to yeah. do A-levels. Yeah. I did business studies. I did politics, which I dropped. I did psychology, which I was really bad at, actually. I thought I was really good at it, but I got a U in my test. <laughs> um, and I flopped my AS levels because my friends just started driving, you know, this whole new lease of life, and of I course, wasn't interested. I think so many people go through that around um, 17. And so I retook year 12... I'm not proud of, and found out I wasn't going to be a pilot. For our international audience, what is year 12? Year 12 is, I don't know. Is that the last, it is the last year of school, year 12, no, right? year 13 is. Ah. So year 12, I don't know. 16 to 17. 16 to 17. Fine, fine. Um, so once that happened with the whole pilot thing, I said to myself, you know what, I'm just going to go and make money. I'm just going to do something that makes me money. Which is when you, you went you went into the city. I went into FX, which didn't make me any money. Fine. I was 17. We were calling. It was the best education I've had in terms of sales. I was in an office with five or six people that I was friendly with. Fine. And we but were it's, selling it's FX. groundwork of what, you know, what the cold calls, that sort of thing. Cold calling. 300 phone calls a day. Important. People telling me to fuck off left, right and centre. Really? You know, having to concentrate when you're surrounded by your mates as well and we're all having a bit of a laugh every now and then. Yeah. Um, but just that being able to pick up the phone to anyone and string a conversation and make them believe that they want to buy what you're selling. no for an answer, I guess. Yeah. It's the big part. Yeah, that. sometimes, you know, we, we were threatened. That <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't regulated either at that time, so a lot of the things we said probably we wouldn't be able to get away with now. Oh, just an absolute oversell sort of... Yeah, just, you know... Almost Wolf of Wall Street type. Pretty much Wolf of Wall Street. Like, it was very fun. This is going to change your life. It was very fun. We were just plucking things out of the air about, you know, currency rates and why they were fluctuating and you've got to buy now because in a week non-farm payroll is going to come out and all of this shit that we had no idea what we were talking about. But it was good fun. Yeah. It was really good fun. I was earning no money, but we were like, I was like buying Ralph Lauren tracksuits and going clubbing every <laughs> weekend like on tables. I don't know how, with an £800 Well, I guess also like you said, that's such a contributor to, to today in, as far as you as a business person mm. in general. And, and I personally think failure is so essential uh, to, to to a business journey in general, and then along that alongside trial and error, error is huge. But did you do you find because obviously you're quite a rarity in the sense that it's your first business and it's going well. Mm. You know, obviously touch with all that and it will keep going well. But uh, 
did was there quite a lot of should we say failure or trial and, trial and error in the first couple of years and and how essential was that to the success and I is there any standout points actually I'd, I'd i'd wonder was there anything where you went wow god we we really fucked up there or uh, you try to yeah, ra- you try was, to raise money and you just completely flopped it. There or was loads of sample products or whatever it may be. <laughs> so the first, the first iteration of the product that we had, we bought five hundred of these resealable cans from the manufacturer. They were filled with lemongrass juice. It was the first um, generation of the lid. It was a really difficult mechanism. I mean, it's it's improved a lot, but at yeah, the time. Oh, by the way, should we should do a little. Well, a demonstration. Yeah, well, yeah, demonstration if you want. So can, you can, we get a, can we get a fo- uh, focused like, shot of this? Like that. And then you I don't know if that's even on there. Like that. And it's uh, can of water, guys. It's airtight. Airtight. Watertight. Don't bottle it. Don't bottle it. Um, Sorry, so you're saying. Um, so you we got 500 done. Yeah, we got and, these and hands. And it was this, this we, what, essentially semi not great idea, uh, not great design. It wasn't, it wasn't ready. They were silver cans, plain. Yeah. We spray painted them white. We put a label on them. We got a printer to print out these labels, and they look they look pretty good actually. But the lid wasn't great. And Josh and I went to this Virgin startup accelerator program to try and raise fifty grand or something. That was you know how much they'd give you. And we're sitting there like around this big table. Everyone's there pitching their idea. And I've gone, yeah, we've got this resealable can, look. And it's just gushing out, <laughs> yeah. The whole thing is pouring out onto the table. Everyone's laughing. I'm like, Michael, we've just blown it. Just, I've gone it. out, I've called the manufacturer. I'm like, what the fuck is going on, Michael? All of this. I mean, I, I, I like the, the confidence that you just went for it anyway. Even what, you just had, now? Well, no, I just, well, yeah. No, oh, what, no, at no, the time, I mean, yeah. Even though you had, well, did you have any clue if it was going to work? Or you, just, you were just No, we just, yeah. we, it's a resealable lid. Yeah. It's obviously going to work. They well, told yeah. us it was going to work. In theory. Exactly. In theory. Um, you know, so that was our first taste of, it wasn't a big failure. It was, it was annoying. It was frustrating. It was embarrassing. It's quite illustrative of a, a, a learning curve step, a, a poignant moment mm. in, in a business person's I think we've, we've had a lot of, minor failures along the way uh you know with trucks turning up late and then we were missing deliveries for people you know we've cut it so fine in the early years on delivery windows and getting things over we've had um we had once and and this wasn't our fault but our cans the steel cans are filled with nitrogen so they've got a dosing of nitrogen in it which keeps the cans hard during transportation you won't feel it now because you've opened it and the nitrogen has come out i just want some more water okay sorry um Feel free to drink. I'm trying, but this mic is really, really in my face at the moment. Yeah, this mic's in my face as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go um, on, finish your, your very interesting story. about. So we had this new batch of product that just came in. And at the time, we were selling to a lot of the Soho houses. And I get a call from the head of food and beverage. And he's like, Ariel, I just had a, a message from one of the guys. Have you changed your water? like no he's like oh it's, it's got a funny taste oh, no. so this is may 2018 just as we've exploded in business as well so we got three hundred thousand of our cans produced for that month's orders it turns out that someone left the carbon dioxide tap on a little bit when they were filling our steel cans so all of our steel cans tasted like flat sparkling water Three hundred thousand cans right so 
we've gone into like crisis mode. Luckily, only two pallets have gone out. They've gone out to our house. We got it back and everything. Does, but does we were whole, short on does that all, all of the redundant? orders. Does that whole thing become yeah, redundant? Yeah, it, it went in the bin and was recycled. 300,000 cans. It took us a year to get the money back on insurance. All of these things, it was disastrous. Yeah. Um, I'm not actually sure we learned that much from it, but because <laughs> it wasn't really our fault. Yeah. But, you know, we kept but cool. But it's, it's that extra meticulous nature of what you yeah, do. Yeah, it's, it's just understanding when things go wrong, what you need to do. So if ever that happens again, we know the process now mm. and we wouldn't let it happen again anyway because they've learned from it, we've learned from it. You know, we, we've had a lot of little things that have gone wrong on the way. A lot of it's been logistics based. You know, we were doing so many different things at once that we're only human. We would forget things. And, and, talk logistics obviously you've got an operations guy now is that right was that such a relief and and that gave you a real freedom to to accelerate the business in other ways yeah i think at some point you've got to start playing to your own strengths yeah and as opposed to the early entrepreneur the early days days everyone does everything you know you just do as much as you can you learn on the job it's all hands on deck but when you mature into a you know a business that's turning over real money that you know looks and feels real to the outside world you need to do the things that people would expect you to do time consuming isn't it? operations logistical forecasting production all of these things that i had to learn on the job you know and that we were learning day by day we were delivering things you know ourselves i had to once deliver stuff to london zoo on behalf of our distributor and, and i've taken a corner quickly and the and everything's gone over in the back of the van and it's just like it's on a Friday afternoon. That's like, a very classic like, sort of what else can go story, wrong, isn't it? Like you know? taking all the car, cans are it dented. It, it's a nightmare. Um, so there, there's yeah, there's been some some instances along the way where these things have happened. And but the, but the, op- the operational guy was 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 just such a relief. I don't wake stuff. up at three o'clock in the morning like <gasps> what's going to go wrong today because. Thankfully, not like my you're lot not does. worried about the classic ones, payroll or yeah, or, and also you know, enough enough stock or just because we were doing be. so many things, you inevitably miss stuff. Yeah, and then you think, what have I missed? And then it comes back to bite you the next day, and you know, it just spirals. So, yeah, um, we're we're in all a much better position now to play to our strengths. And next next year or two, or I mean, I don't want to. I don't divulge on it too much if it's it's quite personal to mm-hmm. you guys as a business and business strategy but do you have an exit plan or do you have like sort of an immediate one to five year idea and is there is there a bigger proposition that you want to get involved in or do you always want to stick to water there is an exit plan naturally i'd be lying if i said i wanted to do this for the rest of my life i love it i love the purpose i love the fact that we've created this product you know, I, I get so much joy when I see it out or when people send me pictures of it. You know, it's amazing. But I think as individuals, the three of us are quite entrepreneurial. We're coming up with ideas all the time. And, you know, the excitement of something new isn't necessarily the the best thing to have in you. But that's what turns me on a lot of the time is what's next. Yeah, alongside just trying to maintain the value of the, the resealable can and the recyclable element. Yeah, you know, creating different streams within what we already know based on other aluminium products, other products in the household that are already, you know, plastic dominated. So we'll, we'll see. Um, Do, um, you know, right now, obviously, because of the current situation, it's, it's not that easy to do those things that we wanted to do 
we've yeah. got to focus on our current business and keeping that you know going do it just sort of with that that point in mind do what's what's coca-cola doing for example and are they coca-cola in in, in in the sense that are they are they trying to latch on to what you're doing not necessarily you directly but are, are they going that way obviously they've got such a massive production plastic is such an important thing to them but do you do you ever think or worry like they're they're really going to try to over over indent the market and take take over everyone and it, obviously that could be good for you in a sense who knows if you ever got bought out but are they starting to really make big efforts in that in that area they've launched their own canned water in the states you know a lot of people have copied us which is great for the the plastic problem you know, the, as many people as possible who want to go into canned water, we, we congratulate them and, you know, wish them all the best because it contributes to the, the greater goal. Uh, of course, it's annoying when people copy us and people have copied our brand. In Coca-Cola, haven't. They've kind of stayed away from that. A lot of others have. Um, but Coca- Are you willing to talk about that, by the way? Yeah, well, we can get onto that. Yeah, okay, fine. Coca-Cola are so invested in plastic that a lot of what they do is a knee-jerk reaction to, you know, pacify the the market and yeah, pacify, you know, the people who are saying, what are you doing? They recently launched a plastic bottle that was made from ocean plastic. And everyone's like, how the fuck does that work? You basically, you're causing the problem. Why should we congratulate you for creating a bottle that is made out of your own problem? And we'll likely go back there anyway. Exactly. Um, you know, it was funny because we were at a, a, um, a supplier conference, one of our, our retailers, and Coca-Cola got the award for sustainability. And it's like, how does that work? Yeah. That's, just, uh, you know, it's money. That, that, yeah, it's money. It's, it's, you start to feel Money talks, right? And, and yeah. they've got a shitload of it and they pay a lot of money. Um, so there are people out there from, you know, these big companies who are doing things. Again, it's a lot of lip service. They're not, they've got the PR machine to be able to spin these stories and make people think that, okay, smart water's made from 100% recycled plastic, that's great, I'm going to carry drinking it. What happens to that plastic bottle after? Mm. It's all well and good it's made from 100% recycled plastic, but plastic bottles have, you know, five or six times they can be recycled at before the be- they're downgraded, the yeah, yeah. and they turn into something else, park bench, shoelaces, a toy car, whatever it is, that's still going to live on this planet for eternity. Yeah. So we need to stop the production of plastic yeah, start full, to look at stop, really. alternatives. Yeah, full stop, really. So you're never going to stop the production of plastic. There's, I mean, there's, you obvious, know, there's, there's uses there's for obvious, it, right? But it's got to be so limited, right? Food preservation, medical supplies, it has its place, but in single-use products that are used for less than 10 minutes, there's other alternatives out there that are better. Um, we, uh, we mentioned it earlier, but let's go back to it. Uh, copycats, basically, what's... Who have they been? You know, it's a bit of juicy information, but who have they been and what was what was so specific that kind of pissed you off? I'm not going to name names because you can see, you know, if, if you Google canned water, there's not a lot of us out there, but you, you can see. I think, you know, it's, it's frustrating because we believe we started this movement. We were at the forefront of it. Well, without a doubt. You know, I think. And, and there's a lot of people... Again, we're happy that they come on this journey with us. But when they copy our website verbatim or whether they copy the black and white cans, you know, or go after us, which a lot of them have done, go after our, you know... Sorry, so it's literally clients. sometimes word for word they're copying your website. Oh, I, I could, and I'll show you, but I could okay. show you so many instances that you would think we've made it, the product. And again, you know, we implore people who do that, but have some originality. Yeah, There's 
hundreds of colors out there that you could put your cans, you know, in. There's so many different ways of saying the same thing. And also, if you're copying, you try and do something different at least a little Try bit. and at least do it different. You know, I know there's Coca-Cola and there's other red cans of uh, cola drinks and stuff, but there's so much, I guess, creativity out there that it's just, it's annoying. It's incredibly frustrating to see people doing that. You kind of feel personally attacked as well. It's yeah, but not I guess like it's such a big marketplace, it's inevitable, right? Yeah, it is inevitable. It's flattering, but at some point, I think I was flattery, there, there's a line. Yeah. There's a line between flattery and outright copying and just... Taking the piss. Yeah, just yeah, taking yeah. the piss. So, yeah, it, it is frustrating. And, and we're seeing it more now in different areas, in different countries. You know, we're, we're trademarked. You can't patent water in a can. It's an idea. It's not a technology. Mm. So we'd never be able to claim that, and we wouldn't want to. And the resealable lid is is a, is a separate patent that yeah, that that's have, uh, have, another company that we to. work with, and we have licenses on yeah. that and stuff. So yeah. and it, actually, you don't need to tell me that. I was going to say, is it worldwide? But oh, I'll leave that to your imagination. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Ariel, yes. So start that again. Sorry, stop me. I just realized. I just realized that I did it. I wanted to go like this. Um, Ariel, thank you very much for being here. And thank you very much for being the, on the first ever episode of any podcast. I genuinely feel very privileged. I feel privileged too. Thank you very much. And um, to many more together. Yeah, yeah. To many more together. And to many more together. And we'll do one soon. Cheers. Cheers.